LPD 1041. Signal 10 assistance. Inside the Squad, presented by the Lafayette Police Department. To serve and protect is not just a motto, it's our mission. Sending another unit. Step it up. Welcome back, Inside the Squad, Episode 2. Lieutenant Hartman, M.K. Reilly, Chief Galloway back. Special guest, LPD crime analyst, Michael Lupa. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. This is a good one today, I think, uh, one that a lot of people are interested in, in talking about. And uh, is Lafayette safe? That's what everybody wants to know. Chief, let you uh, talk about why this episode is important. Yeah, this is a critical thing that why police departments exist. And I'm passionate about it. I, I care deeply about our city, our police department, and it matters to me that Lafayette is a safe place. So a lot of times when I'm out, people will come up to me and talk about is Lafayette safe, Lafayette's changed, and what's really disheartening is sometimes people come up to me and tell me they don't come to Lafayette at night because they're afraid, and that's why I wanted to have this podcast because we work with the mayor, the city council, community members on a regular basis with our stats, with what we're doing, with the reality of what's happening in the city, and whenever we're done with those conversations, people feel good, like, okay, I know the facts now, I know what's really going on, so that's why we wanted to have this podcast up front put out the stats. Uh, we have uh, 20 years of stats we're going to push of part one crimes, and Micah can talk about that. But yeah, this is um, a good podcast. We want people to interact with what we talk about and if they have questions, but this is an important one. And I feel like this is a question that you guys get asked really often. So instead of doing a lot of small little groups, we can put this podcast together and reach a huge audience. Yep. Thanks for doing it. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, and I think it's important to note, like, we're we're invested in this too, right? Like we raise our families here. Um, we go out to dinner in this community. So, so we too are equally invested and, and it's important that we're transparent about these things. So, uh, let's dive into it a little bit here, Micah. Um, talk a little bit about what you do, uh, how you come up with these numbers, things of that sort. So uh, I work in databases. I write code and, uh, I pull a lot of numbers. People are curious about what's been going on. And I answer the question of, um, how many X event have we had? What's been going on in the past so many years? And frequently people are concerned about high-level crime. Part one crimes could kind of colloquially be called uh, violent crimes. If you think of a serious crime, it's probably a part one crime. Um, and obviously the headline that everybody cares about is shootings. They're on everyone's mind. They're a particular point of concern. And I do think they're worth talking about, but it's also worth noting that pretty much everything outside of shootings has dramatically decreased over any relevant time frame. Um, so certainly not saying that absolves any issues with shootings, but everything else is down. And it's important to start off any discussion about safety as if we're not talking about shootings, unequivocally, Lafayette is safer. Now, shootings, I'm sure it doesn't come as a shock to anybody. They're certainly up. And there are reasons for that. One of the main ones is this is kind of acting as a transfer from elsewhere. Aggravated assaults used to not really be shootings. People would break a pool cue, get into a bar fight, that type of thing. And now they're firing off guns. Um, is that a good change? No, I certainly would prefer we go back to uh, bar fights being less lethal, but it's important to know that this isn't 
new crime. It's a crime that was already occurring that has changed form. And even in that sense, these shootings are not all the same. The perception I get from the general Lafayette community is people assume a shooting is always someone taking a gun, pointing at someone, and making an honest attempt to kill them. That's not very many shootings. Most shootings are people firing off warning shots, firing them into the ground. They are at least making a reasonable effort to not hit the other person. And these still aren't good, but when you see 10 shootings, 20 shootings, this is not 20 people pointing a gun at someone and making an honest effort to kill them. There are some of those. Some shootings truly are attempts on a person's life, but that's not the average shooting. That's not the typical shooting event. So, so are, those, are those tracked differently then yes. for, for clarification as far as shootings where somebody's injured versus somebody just firing off warning shots? Can you, can you talk yeah. about that a little bit? There are five broad categories of shootings tracked. There is shootings with death, shootings with injury, shootings with a reasonable attempt to injure. So if someone shoots up a house, they could have injured someone, and it doesn't really matter if someone was in the house or not. They were making an effort to hurt someone. Shootings with completely no attempt to injure, firing off in the air. The kind of classic example is on 4th of July or on New Year's Eve, people will just fire off guns, Mm -hmm. and they're not even trying to scare someone. They're just celebrating and deciding to do that with a firearm. And then finally, we have like accidental discharge, where someone... It wasn't even intentional that the firearm went off. And the bulk of the growth in these is shootings without intent to injure and shootings that are kind of celebratory. That's where we're seeing, like, the growth in shootings being driven from. And and I should note, uh, it's important to note that these shootings are almost exclusively people that know each other. There's a conflict. And you know, so we talk about murder numbers, and when I hear people say they're afraid to come to Lafayette or that that's a, something they think about before they come to Lafayette, all of our, the homicides that we had, we don't want to have any of them, but they were all either domestic-related, drug-related. Uh, one, one was exchanging guns and one was a murder-suicide. So those had no impact on just a random citizen being shot. Now, why shootings are important is because bullets go out of your gun. You own that bullet. And, like, when you're shooting at a house or a car or something, that's the danger in it, but all of our shooting incidents, we can track back to people that were in a conflict with somebody else. It's not just going around randomly shooting people. Uh, have you seen that too in your numbers, I'm sure? Yeah, random shootings are quite rare. I mean, they do certainly happen, but the vast, vast majority of shootings are two people that have interacted in the past, particularly in a uh, Um, criminally inclined manner. Maybe they're selling drugs, maybe they're buying drugs, maybe they're selling or buying guns. But these are not two people with no prior connection. These are people well acquainted with each other. And I do want to stress with the comment about like these different types of shootings. LPD doesn't view someone firing off celebratory rounds as not an issue. It's just important to realize some of these shootings are very unlikely to result in even property damage, much less damage to a person. We investigate and make arrests on celebratory shootings because of how much we view them as a problem. It's just important to understand not all shootings are what you think of as a shooting. Yeah. And it, this is uh, 
Micah can even talk about this nationwide issue of people increasing their access to using firearms, using them in an unresponsible way. And hearkening back to what Micah said, I mean, the, the stats of other crimes have gone down dramatically. Burglaries, uh, those are re really affect people. So, and, and maybe we can talk about this more later, but the things that keep people safe are the, the things that aren't really popular to talk about or don't catch a lot of news. So not texting and driving is, if you're really worried about being safe, not doing that. Driving the speed limit, driving safe in neighborhoods, protecting your finances. Those are the crimes that happen every day that affect people, but those don't get talked about uh, because they're just, they don't bring headlines. They don't, people don't become terrified of those or it doesn't hit social media as, as yeah. hard. Those are the things that matter if you want to be safe. Locking your doors, mm -hmm. uh, locking your car doors, keeping your guns safe, tracking your finances. That's the crimes that are going to affect everyday people. So we have the numbers in front of us, and we'll also share that on the podcast um, on the screen. But, Micah, what are the major categories of crime that you keep track of? Uh, I tend to not keep track of crime in terms of broad categories. I actually have granular data. So if you're asking about like felony drug arrests, I can pull that. If you want to know specific uh, gram amounts for drug arrests, I can pull that information. If you can uh, formulate the question, I can probably answer it. Um, so well, how about these? So everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have access to everything. I have 20, my database starts in December of 1999. So. If you're asking about LPD stuff back to then, I have access to it. Um, this is specific to kind of a federal agency report, the numbers that we're going to share and we have in front of us. Um, and they track them in broader categories. Um, the stuff that I can see is actually condensed downwards. So if you imagine, like, there's homicide on here. Um, homicide encompasses a couple of broader uh, offenses. Um, People are probably familiar with the concept of like manslaughter, first degree, second degree murder. Mm -hmm. Those all kind of get condensed. Um, I don't believe manslaughter is in the homicide one for this particular aggregation, but it's just kind of take these charges and condense them. And because these are national data sets, they have to deal with the fact that states have different takes on the same thing. So, hey, can you talk a little about um, when we talk about national data sets? We've talked before about how we get lumped into oh, yeah. uh, you know di different counties end up affecting the stats that get published in Lafayette because they're FBI stats. Sure. Explain so that a, a very common experience for me is I will attend a meeting where someone um, in good faith is trying to bring crime stats to Lafayette to the table. They want to talk uh, with crime stats and they go do some independent research and they find these wonderful sites online that publish crime stats for all cities. What people don't quite know is these websites you can find out on the internet. If you search crime stats, I'm sure you can find probably 17 of these websites. Um, they all source their data from a data set that is published by the FBI. And the FBI builds this data set very specifically for their own purposes. They make it available to the public out of goodwill, but it is for their purposes. And as a result, they kind of clump together large metropolitan areas. Relevantly for us, they do not care about the distinction between Lafayette and West Lafayette or even kind of general Tippecanoe County. If it is roughly related to Lafayette, the FBI is lumping it together. And I want to stress, I don't blame the FBI for this. They are a national agency. They don't really care about these small level distinctions. But if you search Lafayette crime stats, you will get 
answered as if you were talking about it's roughly 80% of Tippecanoe County and a little bit of surrounding counties, um, you're not getting Lafayette-specific crime stats. If you wanted those, you could ask me. Uh, we're going to publish them, so <laughs> yeah. put them yeah. out there. Uh, let, let, let's <clears throat> dive a little bit into the into the why, because I think that's an important question people have. Why, why the increase uh, in shootings? Um, and, and, you know, I, th I think it's important to note that 20 years ago, we didn't have the social media we have now. So the minute something happens in Lafayette, you have you have it on social media. It's out there. Mm -hmm. um, 20 years ago, it may have been in the paper the next day, but not everybody subscribed to the paper. And so it's it's a little bit different uh, and a challenge for us to navigate that. But but let's talk about a little bit about the law change a couple of years ago sure. that uh, you know, it took the concealed carry away and uh, became an open carry state. So what do we think that's played into this at all? Certainly. I, I do think this kind of social media argument saying like the perception of crimes, particularly shootings when there are these very high profile crimes, um, social media certainly plays a role. We are also seeing a real increase in the quantity of these events happening. Now, maybe it's coming from what used to be an aggravated assault is now a shooting, but the number is going up. Um, and while Lafayette specifically can't talk about the gun law change, it is pretty clear if you look at statewide stats that Indiana saw an increase in shootings due to, or at least very closely linked in time to the passage of this law. And, and what's, what's the, the law that uh, concealed or the um, constitutional, constitutional carry? carry. Uh, per permitless carries. Yeah, yeah. Effectively, it, it makes it more difficult for the. Mm, kind of governments to decline gun permits, and it also makes it more difficult for police to take away guns if they suspect someone of criminal activity. And we've had instances where we encounter someone with a gun, previously we would have taken the gun away, now we do not, and three weeks later or something, they commit a shooting. And we're not stupid, we, we knew <laughs> this gun was gonna end up being a problem, but um, we were not no longer allowed to remove this gun from the streets. There's two other trends that we're seeing. One, youth with guns, 14, 15, 16-year-old kids, their, their brains aren't fully uh, functioning yet, so they take risks that other people wouldn't and are just firing guns off. So you're seeing these multiple shots fired into the air, shot at a, a car or a, a building. So that's a lot of what's happening there is youth, juveniles, and, and access to guns, like Micah said, not, we had 94 stolen guns last year, many of them out of unlocked cars, unlocked houses, people not being responsible for their guns, so. 15 of those 94, in the police report, it says that it was stolen from an unlocked vehicle. So 15 of 94, someone told the police officer they did not lock their car when the gun was in yeah. I don't know about you, but if my gun got stolen from an unlocked vehicle, I certainly would not tell the police that. <laughs> please keep reporting that. Please let yeah. us know that. It's better to yeah. kind of swallow your pride and say, yeah, mm -hmm. I, didn't, I didn't, so we know there's a gun stolen out there. We can try to intercept it and do that investigation, but that's a problem. More access to guns that aren't being helped. And then I mean, the people that have them are not using them responsibly. Other ones, there was the somewhat recent, uh, it was ruled a homicide where the child shot the yeah, it was. Yeah, it wasn't. Um, it was accidental. It was, okay. I think it was ruled accidental. But yeah, I mean that that happens. That happens multiple times. We had a couple of those last year. So while we're on the homicide topic, um, we we do get asked a lot why homicides are up. 
um, not necessarily up, but 2023 did tie with 2020. Uh, In 1977. So that's, uh, you know, 1977, I don't know if we had the the pressures of how many, why we have so many homicides, but like I said, we can track these all back to drug deals, gun deals, domestics, and a murder-suicide. So we don't want anybody to be killed in any sort of violence or anything like that, but... Um, yeah, I don't, didn't happen. I, I don't want to say that homicides aren't important because they certainly are, but I do think it's a little bit uh, unreasonable to focus on specifically homicides. That's more a question of outcome rather than what crime was committed. Um, a large portion of aggravated assault, someone made an honest attempt to kill the other person. Uh, they just didn't happen to succeed. So it's an aggravated assault instead of a homicide. And if you're looking at aggravated assaults where someone made an honest attempt to kill the other person, you're not seeing this dramatic increase. Homicides are just such a small number that if you see six and you go to seven, that's a, I mean, it's close to 20%. It's like 18. But it's, it's an outcome because now we're doing yeah. tourniquets. I think ERs have become mm -hmm. more sophisticated. So we're fortunate in that fact that when people do receive these injuries, they're surviving. Uh, I and mean, homicides are certainly uh, something worth, to con worth concerning yourself about. But if you're talking about this broader question of is Lafayette safe, it's really unreasonable to focus on specifically homicides. Was that answering your question? Yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah, I yeah, cut you off before <laughs> you asked the question, but we're really passionate about this. It really matters to us. Yeah, and, and that's something I wanted to, to touch on. I know I think we touched on it briefly, but when you talk about these shootings, you know, I know it's a, it's a priority and an emphasis here at the police department to try to prevent these things. Uh, but, but I think we do a very good job investigation-wise um, making arrests on these types of things. Let's, so on shooting specifically, do you have numbers on our arrests and what that looks like? We do have numbers. Um, the arrests for shootings in the past year, we've made three times as many arrests, and we have a clearance rate that doubled. So if someone reports a shooting to us, it is twice as likely as it used to be that we make an arrest. And I can talk a little bit about, I'm sorry to cut you off, about why that happens, because we made a, we pivoted in how we respond to these things. Anytime shots are fired, we are headed out to the scene to, with our CSIs, we have a civilian CSI cadre right now that collects any information, shell casings, evidence, video footage. Our patrol officers have become really sophisticated at setting perimeters and identifying people that are witnesses or suspects and tracking those people down. And we've have an operations the lieutenant who is constantly updating who we are paying attention to because, like Micah said, it's the same people doing the same things. You have a very small amount of people causing this havoc, and that's that's been forever. So when we had robberies or burglaries, it's a very small amount of people that do these things. They're incredibly tiny. I mean, you can't even um, imagine maybe a few people that caused this amount of crime. So like Micah is saying, I want to stress that our response has been overwhelmingly to try to put a, a stop to these things. I, I do also think it's worth noting, I mean, it's unfortunate when you look at kind of clearance rates or whatever and you don't really know what's going on, the number just looks bad. But a lot of these shootings that we respond to, going back to like, not all shooting is exactly what you'd expect it to be, frequently we show up on scene and we find some shell casings and there's no one around, there's no video evidence, there's not a ring doorbell or something, and we don't make an arrest on that. I mean, I hope that doesn't come in as a shock. If we show up, find some shell casings, we confirm a shooting occurred and someone was just firing rounds into the air or something. Not a whole lot we could do there. We still send somebody out and check to make sure if there is something we can do, but 
there's not a whole lot we could do to make an arrest on that. And we do make arrests on celebratory shootings, which is very rare in terms of police departments. Most police departments just kind of say, no one was harmed. That's a lot of work to track this person down. Not too concerned about it. And, and, and there was an instance, um, just to give an example of the types of shootings that we're seeing that shows you irresponsible gun ownership and decision-making is we had a person that had mental illness, had a gun, came back to his hotel room, the door was open, instead of backing out and calling the police or, or I mean, calling it, I, you know, I don't want to tell that person how to respond, I'm not in their shoes, but fire a gun into the air. Mm -hmm. And that makes no sense to me uh, of why somebody would respond in that matter. But when we see shootings going up, that's the irresponsible gunplay that I'm talking about is using a gun as almost like a toy. Uh, when those, those bullets come out, they come down and people don't understand that. And again, it goes back to the, the um, permitting. Those used to go through the police chief that we could look at background information to give the state police to make a decision. That That's not what we do anymore. Right. So let's move on from shootings. What about the other crime areas? Have, has that gone up? The gone other down crimes are almost universally down. I mean, we're putting out the numbers. I'm sure you can find a number going up in one specific year. By and large, numbers are down. Um, there are some Interesting data notes. If you'd like to know more, you're free to contact me. Um, I'm sure it'll be approved that I can clarify, but um, it, this really is not uh, a particularly arguable point. Crime is down in Lafayette. Crime is down in the city. Crime is down in the entire nation. Um, the United States, Lafayette, Indiana, pretty much any way you want to slice uh, the United States, it's getting safer. Um, there was a big expected crime wave in the 90s. It just didn't happen, and the country as a whole has been getting safer. Lafayette had a bit of a problem peaking in about 2018. Um, it still was down from like that historic times, but we did have a, a surge. It's frequently cited as like the opioid epidemic for uh, the cause of that particular peak, but we rose up to a peak in 2018. There were some initiatives started and Lafayette has improved since 2018. Hard for me to say whether or not the initiatives are specifically why, but it definitely has improved. So. And as you can imagine, during that opioid, it was a lot of robberies and property crimes went up. So we, again, those are serious crimes, those are part one crimes, but those went up and I could imagine those are from opioid uh, instances where people are trying to get money to steal opioids or um, steal property to go sell to then buy opioids. And Mike, I just want to ask, for clarification purposes, like if you look at 2012 and you look at the burglaries, you see 713. Mm -hmm. If you look at 2023, you see 189. Is there a difference in the way those have been reported, the way that we're tracking them, or do we think there's that big of a decrease in those types of crimes? Um, we do believe there is a decrease. Some of this gets weird because the national reporting rules have changed. So um, there's a data note you can see at the bottom that's specifically of uh, rapes were probably included with other crimes where now multiple crimes in one instance are counted. This particular data sheet that we're putting out has the kind of national aggregation rules which have changed through time. So some of what you'll see in terms of like numbers changing is something that used to be under one category is now under a, a different category. Um, there is kind of a ranking to crimes and so like if a crime occurs where someone breaks into a house and then murders someone, that is counted as a murder, not as uh, a burglary because the murder is a more severe crime. Now, the really obvious cases, 
probably doesn't come as a shock to anybody. Murders are the highest in the ranking ones. When you get down in the weeds where you're talking about um, lower level crimes, some of those rankings have shifted throughout time and we have seen kind of like um, specific flavors of uh, sexual assault get grouped in in different categories where it's like not really clear if you grouped in with some category or another. So if you're talking about like specific numbers and whether or not they change from one year to the next, you have to be very careful to not run into an accidental data problem where suddenly something changes. And that's very common in data science. And those decreases matter because uh, the only thing I learned when I was in detectives is when somebody steals your car, uh, that's very personal to somebody or they break into your house. I've worked burglary cases where the people had to move out of their house because it got burglarized and they were just so traumatized. Sorry about that having happened to somebody else in their home. Same way it goes to the car. A lot of people that get their car stolen, that's the end of that car. They're gonna sell it. They don't want it after somebody has been in there and, and trespassed on that. So even bank accounts and people who commit frauds and those kind of things, it really is personal to people. Again, it doesn't make the headline. Somebody gets uh, money stolen, you know, 10 grand out of their bank account. May not seem like a huge thing to somebody, but, or to the news or the social media, but that's the thing that really is gonna affect people. That's where you're gonna be a victim of crime. It's not the homicide or the rape. Those are all, like Micah said, those are few and far between. They happen between people that know each other. Mm -hmm. It's the frauds and the burglaries. Those things affect people. Things when you're driving, they sound, they, again, they, going back to my first point, they sound like they're minimal things, but texting and driving is going to get you in an accident. Speeding is going to get you in an accident. That's what's going to affect you, not the stuff where you're, not, you're afraid to go out at night. So if the numbers show that crime has gone down, aside from shootings, why is everyone saying, oh, Lafayette isn't how it used to be, Lafayette's unsafe? Well, I mean, Go ahead, sorry. Some of uh, this comment, I mean, this common uh, argument is usually that, like, Lafayette isn't what it used to be and Lafayette is so unsafe. While I would disagree with the comment of, like, Lafayette is unsafe, Lafayette has changed. The city has grown. It is different than it used to be. And frequently when people say, like, oh, Lafayette isn't what it used to be in the 70s, uh, I feel like the only response you can give is yes. Like, Teal it's Road, not. Teal Road was a gravel road yeah. in the 70s. Yeah. Um, so the, the city has grown. I think I think that's to the mayor's um, credit and the city council's credit and the city in itself bringing in big industries. That's what you want. You want to see things growing and getting bigger, and that's going to yeah. bring people here. And unfortunately, that brings criminal matters, and that's why we have invested in this building, invested in our police department. The city has invested in us, so we're proud to to serve and drive these numbers down and crime's gonna happen and we wanna solve it. That's what matters is that we solve it. So, you know, I, I think our message to people when you ask is Lafayette safe is if, if you don't involve yourself in criminal activity, you surround yourself with the right people and then you significantly decrease the percentages of being victimized. Um, and so that's a message we wanna get across, but I think it's also important to note that it has to be a partnership between us and the community. If you see something, report it. And, and I think mm -hmm. a lot of times you know, you hear as an officer going to respond to calls, well, I didn't think it was a, that big of a deal. I didn't want to bother the police. And we never want that to, to be how you feel about something. And, and so, so no matter how big or how small, if your gut tells you something's not right, report it to us because it often leads to something else. So are there any other tips or advice that we want to give the community chief as far as these, these sorts of things? To that point, I've had friends before call me for what I would consider a very, very serious matter. And I'm thinking like, why aren't you calling the police? Why, why do you have to ask me to call? But people are afraid to call the police sometimes. It, it brings a police car to your house. Now maybe you're in the middle of something you don't want to be in. But we assure you that our officers want to be called. 
and I sometimes officers get overwhelmed with the amount of volume that we take. I'm like, well, the, the reason we're getting a lot of calls is because the community trusts us. Once that ends, once we're not getting phone calls, that's the pro- that's when I start worrying. Yep. So I would rather people call on it, you know, be a something that didn't amount to anything versus not calling and it turns out to be something big. So yeah. the trust in the community is, is vital to us. I would stress that particularly if you're talking about these kind of more serious crimes, shootings, homicides, if that's what concerns you, stuff like thefts should concern you because I don't think I've ever seen someone where their involvement say, oh, this person committed a shooting and nothing else. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, this person committed a shooting and 17 burglaries. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, their life is revolved around crime. That's why we really want to have wraparound services, not just the police, but community outreach for us, and then the community members engage with, with things that can help schools, after-school care, health care, those kind of things really matter. That's now, what matters to these stats. And the OPD's community outreach unit is always going out, talking to the community. Every day, if you can get in somebody's ear and talk, make a change. It sounds ridiculous and cliche, but that's what I'm doing one this morning after we do this, um, going out and talking to some kids, so... It matters. Yeah. And if, if, if you're a business or, or whatnot, you, you want us to come speak with you about safety tips and things, please reach out to us. We're more than happy to do those things. We enjoy connecting with the community. So. Yeah, for sure. If we're getting ready to wrap up, I just, my final um, note is that Lafayette is safe. Police Department cares. Uh, the city cares. I, know, I think the stats bear that out, too. I would 100% agree that Lafayette is safe. I think it is relatively simple to keep yourself away from the really serious types of crime. It's difficult to completely insulate yourself from burglaries or breaking and enterings, but if you're talking about shootings, homicides, the really serious crimes, it is not that hard to keep yourself away from situations that put you at risk. Um, And I feel like that is the only reasonable metric to judge safety by. Can you avoid this? And people who go choose to box or participating in combat sports, they are choosing to engage with risk. And I don't think it's fair to say, well, that's risky for everyone else because I could choose to involve myself. If you're making a choice, um, you're going to have to accept the consequences of those choices. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. good All right. And on that note, it's question time. Question time. (laughs) How many we got today? Uh, Let's do four. I think the donut one got a big (laughs) response, right? Yeah. (laughs) First up, how can I follow up on a crime I reported to see if there are any updates? Yeah, so all of our crimes go come to the police officer. They then go to the records division to be parsed out to some other agency that they need to be for the prosecutor's office, uh, DCS, or wherever it may have to go. Anything else that's a felony or above goes up to detectives to be um, assigned to a, a detective. Sometimes uh, they're not because we go by priority. You can understand, like we're talking now, if you have a, a shooting incident, a rape or something aggravated, it's going to get assigned immediately. Mm-hmm. Lower level crimes would either wait or maybe not even get assigned. Okay. We, we take uh, about 20,000 reports a year, so we, we don't have enough detectives to answer all those, but we do send stuff back to our officers who were the initial investigating officer to also follow up on if there's, if there's leads. Next question, uh, do I need a college degree to become a cop, and I'll, I'll touch on this yeah, briefly, and then, then Chief, you can chime in if you'd like. But the, the short answer is no, you do not. Um, you know, graduate high school, and I think the big thing, at least what I tell people when I get the question of how do I become a police officer, is sometime between the time you graduate and you apply, 
is, is you found a way to better yourself. And maybe that includes going and getting a job, uh, sustaining that job, performing well at it, um, building your, your references, things of that nature. Um, there, of course, are, are other ways. Uh, if, if I'm speaking uh, honestly, I would say one thing that eliminates a lot of candidates is social media. I was going to say that. I mean, it's, yep. you know, and, and we live in the social media world now, and, and people just aren't cognizant of the things they're saying. It could be something as small as retweeting something that you don't think uh, is a problem, but in reality it is. So um, those are two things for me, bettering yourself, being being smart about what you put on social media. Uh, Chief, go ahead with yeah, yeah, I think that's the number one thing we look for is integrity. You don't have to be a genius. Um, we have officers here that have degrees from in chemistry. We have guys here that have been in the military. We have people that have, don't have degrees at all. It matters your integrity. Social media is part of that. If uh, you can pay attention to what you're putting out there or nothing out there is probably the better choice for that. But, yeah, we need people that are honest to be here because nobody wants to work next to somebody who's not honest. Yep. And the public doesn't want a police officer pulling them over or their family over who's not honest. So that's what matters to us. Right. You can teach them the ropes, but you yeah. can't teach there you character. Go. Yep. 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 Good point. Absolutely. How has police training evolved over the years and how do you stay up to date? Yeah. So the, the law enforcement training board indicates we have to have 24 hours a year of training, but we surpass that uh, probably in two or three months of the year. You know, I mean, if, by probably March, we've passed that up. So there's mandates that are 24 hours, but we, we train far more than that. And that we've always done that. Since I've been here 25 years, we've always been top trained. And that's one of the things we're known for is our training. Some people to, all over the country. I've been to some San Diego, Seattle, Austin. I mean, I've been all over the country training. And I mean, we even sent our civilian people to training. <laughs> I was going to say from digging in one of the places that I can pull reports from is kind of timesheets and um, every pay period uh, an officer is expected to have four hours of all day training and a uh, pay period for us is four weeks. So that well exceeds 24 hours by itself. And what are is, some types of training? Hmm? Like what are the main areas of training? So we do pay attention and these are mandates to diversity inclusion type trainings, de-escalation. Those are the ones that the community wants to make sure we're doing and we are. And we do above and beyond on those things. And we have our specialty units, so the SWAT team, mobile field force, CNT, those people are always training monthly to keep those skills tight and sharp. And then our CSIs, are, and we have a big budget to train, to not only send people to training, but to also pay for them to go places. So that's part of what we do. And I want to say real quick, you know, when I do background investigations, a question I get from parents is, how are you going to keep yeah. my loved ones safe? Yeah. And I think the answer to that is training, training, training. It's not a guarantee your loved one's going to be safe because anything can happen. But, man, that, that training piece is so important and so vital to keeping us safe that we, we put a huge emphasis on it here. It's a good question. That's one that matters. How do you feel about body cameras? And it's it's great. That's good. I, I don't want those to go away. They've helped officers in, in a personal level. You know, you, every time you go on a call, you're subject to somebody complaining on you or saying, some, saying you did something you didn't. And so those come back more times than not. I, I think I can't quantify it, but it, it saves officers because people will make complaints and they're erroneous and they're false. Just look at the body cam footage. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, because when you're in the heat of the moment sometimes of, of calls, you it, when you look at what you did and what you said, it's different. And that goes for the citizen too making the complaint. They may think they said something or acted in a way, and we look at the camera like, no, that's not what happened. And they're, they're two-dimensional, so you can't, that's why they're, you got to have the totality of what's going on. It's not just the camera because that shows you a little bit, but it doesn't show you everything. But they are great. It, it shows what's happening. We have the abilities to look in on, uh, to our officers if they're on a critical scene to see what's going on so we can make decisions. So they have been great. So this has been helpful. I think the officers like it. Yeah. And it's a little bit stressful because I didn't grow up in a time when you had body cams or worked the streets, but you're on camera all the time. And they turn them off during when they're not on calls, but you know, that, that there's in the back of your mind that this is being recorded and I think it's good for our officers and I think they like it. I've not heard anything bad about them. Yeah, and that's what I was gonna to touch on. I think it's that extra layer of accountability that we all want. And the reality of it is, if you're not doing anything wrong, yeah. you have nothing to hide. Yep. So uh, to me, these have been very important, not just for us, but transparency to the community mm -hmm. as well. And I don't think you'll find many officers that say they don't want a body camera. Nope. I think it's a very important piece. even when we go on call sometimes and the, the body camera, the battery goes out or they're on their way home and they help out, they will notify dispatch, I don't have a body camera on. So it gets marked down in the notes. Because right, they, well, they have to dock their body cams in the, the police department, so that, that's why they wouldn't have one. Okay, uh, yeah. that was the last question. Right. Um, listener, send us more at Lafayette. No, email. Email us at inside the squad at lafayette.in.gov. And we'll publish these on a, a good graph. Yep. Yeah, okay. I'll get all the data up. Okay. Well, Mike, Mike I, thanks for joining us. Yeah, Mike, cool. I want to thank you for your time. Me. This is a lot, a lot of good information. I know a lot of work goes into that, so thank you for your time and willingness to, to explain all of it. We'll be back, episode three, topic to be determined, I think, right now. But yeah. looking, looking forward to it. Yeah, we've got, we got a lot of ideas. So uh, we look forward to dropping another one. For now, Inside the Squad, 1042.